Anyway, book of Acts this evening, chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, and we'll look at verses 37 through 47 this evening at a growing church. Last week we looked at an obedient church, and we looked at the obedience of the church at Jerusalem there, how they waited at Jerusalem until God's promise came true. Uh, God had told them to wait there and that the Holy Ghost would be given to them, and we saw how they stuck it out, how they waited in Jerusalem. They waited for God's word to come to pass. They obeyed him, and because of that, they were greeted with a ready crowd. And we looked at Peter's sermon last week. We didn't go into great detail into the things that he was saying, but He was preaching to them of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how this ready group that was gathered there was a group of Jewish believers, or not believers, but Jewish individuals. They were ones who had been instructed in the law, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish way of life, Uh, many of them Jewish by nation or by birth and by nature, uh, and some of them proselytes. But they were folks who knew the Scriptures. And Peter spoke to them of the Messiah and he ended his message in verse number 37 saying or 36 sorry therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ and so Peter was very strongly proclaiming to them that the one whom they had crucified Jesus of Nazareth was not just some other man. He wasn't just some nice guy who could do some cool things or had a group of people that followed him. But he was preaching to them that Jesus, the one that they crucified, was both Lord and Christ. That he was the promised one, the Messiah. And that they had taken Jesus and crucified him. And so we're going to pick up in verse number 37 this evening and look at a growing church. In verse number 37 it says, Now when they heard this... They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his words, his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Certainly an impressive um, moving of God upon the hearts of men. You should have noticed as we were reading down through there in verse number 41, 
that there were added unto the church at Jerusalem about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine? I mean, we had looked earlier there in the book of Acts at the group that was gathered in the upper room, and it was somewhere around 120 individuals. Now, we could, we could fit 120 individuals in here. It'd probably be a little bit tight. Uh, we might not have as much elbow room as maybe we're used to as Americans, but we could fit. But if you suddenly added 3,000 folks in here, we would have a little bit of a problem. We would no longer be able to fit. That's some serious church growth right there. But we're going to uh, just dive into this passage and look at some of the things that are going on here and see how God added unto this church daily such as should be saved. And notice a growing church here. And the first thing we'll notice this morning, or this, yeah, this morning, this evening, is amazing growth. But you notice there in verse number 37 that they're listening to the preaching of Peter. They hear the words that he has to say, and the Bible gives us this insight that they're pricked to their hearts. The Holy Spirit has taken the words of Peter, and he has divided down to the, the very joints and marrow, to the, the thoughts and intents of their heart, and he has pricked them in their conscience. They've realized that the words that Peter is telling them are truth. The Holy Spirit has added his stamp of conviction and blessing upon the preaching of Peter. And as they're cut to the heart, they cry out to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, can we stop for a minute and just think about how neat that would have been to be one of the apostles, to be Peter on that day? I mean, he preaches, and here's this whole group of people. They're, they're pricked to the heart. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they cry out, what do we have to do? Hey, man, that, that's a great question. That's an exciting question. If you're one of the apostles on that day, I think they were pretty excited. That's the kind of question that you want to hear. If you go and you witness to someone, you share with them the gospel, and they say, well, what do I do? Hey, Amen. That's a, a great question. And so we see the crowd's question, what shall we do? And then we'll notice Peter's answer in verse number 38. Peter answers them. Then, said, then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, first thing you'll notice there that Peter tells them to do. He says, Repent. Repent. This word repent means to turn, to have a change of mind, to repent. This is a term that many in our day and age want to do away with. There are many people who talk about salvation just in the terms of asking Jesus into your heart, that repentance plays no part in it. Peter here is very clear, though. He cries out to these men as they ask him what they need to do. Peter says, repent. You know, this evening, all of us, we have to come to a place where we repent, a place where we turn, where we have a change of mind. You know, for these men, they had to turn their backs on the religious system in which they were raised. They were raised in a religious system that said, if you keep these rules, you can make it. You'll be good. But really, that was a perversion of that religious system because their religious system was designed to have them place their faith ultimately in the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah. 
But that Messiah had come, and they had rejected him for their own religious system. They had rejected Jesus. And, you know, this evening, all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. And for us to come to Christ, what shall we do? We have to repent. We have to turn from our own mindset. We have to change. We have to turn from the way that we're viewing things, the way that we're trying to be okay with God. We have to recognize that we need help, that we need Him. Peter tells them that they are to repent. You know, when we think about this repentance, turning, a change, a change of mind, we cannot simply add Jesus into our lives and have everything go on just as it was before. And that's how a lot of people, they want to come and approach the issue of salvation. Like, hey, you know, I just need to add Jesus into everything that I've got going on right now, and it'll be good. It'll be great. You know, just, just add a little bit of Jesus in. Well, I think if we're really honest, we could all say, no, I don't need a little bit of Jesus added into my life. I need to scrap my life. I need Jesus, and I need him to inform me how to live, what to do. I need him to give me new life. I need him to give me life. I don't need to just you know, put a little bit of Jesus, sprinkle some Jesus on top of what I've got going. And so Peter comes here and he says to these men, they needed to repent. They needed a, a change of mind, a change of attitude about themselves, a recognition that they were not okay on their own and that they needed Jesus. The very one whom, as he very pointedly said in verse 36, whom ye have crucified. So they had to repent. They had to turn. And the reality is, you know, we can sit back today and say, well, I didn't, I wasn't one of those men that crucified Jesus. I wasn't in the crowd that day. But the reality is that every single one of us is one who crucified Jesus. Because it's your sin and it's my sin. We're just as guilty as the, the Jewish individuals and the Roman soldiers that were around the cross on that day. So Peter's answer is, first of all, to repent. The second thing that he says there is to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You'll notice their question was, what shall we do? What shall we do? He said, first of all, you need to repent. Second of all, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and then he adds this phrase on there for the remission of sins. Now, this is a, an interesting phrase. It's a phrase that many people take and they twist. And we're going to talk about it in depth a little bit this evening and just look at it honestly and ask ourselves, what is Peter saying here? A lot of people want to take this verse and try to teach the thing called baptismal regeneration. In other words, that you are saved not just by calling upon Jesus, but that baptism is also a part of salvation, and that without baptism, you are not born again. You're not truly saved without being baptized. And that's, that's teaching baptism as a part of salvation. And we're going to just look at it a little bit this evening and see what Peter is actually saying here. Quite simply, baptismal regeneration is a twisting of scriptures. And certainly this isn't going to be a deep dive just on the subject of baptismal regeneration. But baptismal regeneration, um, pretty much they can only take this verse. They have to cherry-pick just this verse 
And the rest of Scripture does not support it. And so to come to just one verse that we could read quickly and come away unclear on what Peter's saying and think, well, oh, maybe Peter's saying that baptism is part of salvation here. You have to be baptized to be saved. We'd have to ignore the rest of Scripture in order to hold that position. But notice the wording that Peter uses here. Peter, first of all, he commands them to repent. So there, there had to be a change of mind first. There had to be a turning. And second of all, that they were to be baptized. Just think about who he's speaking to. They were to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so when Peter says that Jesus Christ, he's making a very clear statement that they are going to be baptized in the name of Jesus as the Messiah. Not just Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus Christ. Claiming they're identifying, right, if they're going to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, they're identifying that, yes, I, I affirm the view that Jesus is the Messiah. I agree with that. Now, as a Jewish individual, right, with the, the reigning Jew, Jewish leaders and Jewish council, the Pharisees and all of them, the high priest, he was in on it too, what have they just done with Jesus? Not 50 days before this. Well, they, they killed him. They crucified him for claiming to be the Messiah, ultimately. And so, for someone who's part of the synagogue, part of the Jewish religion, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you think there was a bunch of people just running around saying, oh yeah, goody, goody, let me do that. I, I want to identify with Jesus. Oh, wait, you wouldn't want to do that unless you were serious. Yeah. There would be some counting the cost that's associated with that. You know, for most of us as American Christians, we can sit back with very little cost when it comes to baptism. For most of us... Uh, you know, for me, for instance, the only thing it cost me when I got baptized as a teenager, after being born again, the only thing that it cost me was a little bit of pride. As I got up there in front of the entire congregation, and I gave my testimony standing in a baptismal tank, it was a little uh, scary as a kid, right? It, it took some getting over some fears and facing my fears in order to do that. But that's really the only price that I paid. But for these believers, for these who were coming and asking Peter, what must we do? There was going to be a dear cost. And Peter's not, he's not mincing words. He's not trying to pull a fast one on them. He's letting them know up front, hey, if you guys want to truly be followers of Jesus, you're going to have to identify with him. So for someone to come and say, well, you know, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to add Jesus into my life, but I don't want to identify with Jesus. I don't want to let Jesus have control of my life. I don't want to, you know, if we come to Jesus and we're holding back on purpose, then we're really not coming to him. So there's an aspect of that in this, that these men were truly going to be proving that they were identifying with Jesus. They were all in. So Peter says that they had to have a change of mind first, and second of all, they were to be baptized. But he uses this word for, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so you can read that curse uh, quickly. Curse or royally, yeah, I don't know how to say that. 
You can read it quickly with a cursory glance. There we go. We'll use it that way. And you could come away saying, okay, well, Peter's saying that you need to be baptized in order to receive the remission of sins. And that is one way that you could read the way that it's phrased in the English language. But let me submit this to you. Think of instance of, or for instance, of a wanted poster and put your name on there. Wanted, Megan Hammett, wanted for bank robbery. Now, you could take that two ways. You could take it the way that everyone's going to read it at a cursory glance and say, oh, well, she must have robbed a bank. She's wanted. Or you could read it that someone out there is looking for someone to rob a bank. And they want Megan Hammett to be the one to rob the bank. And you'd say, well, that's a strange way to look at that. Well, yeah. The, the context matters. The, the understanding of a wanted poster matters. So to come to this verse, and we're not going to take the time this evening. If you have questions about this and you want to look at it more in depth with me, I'd love to sit down and open the scriptures. For sake of time this evening, we're not going to. But we could look just at Peter's statements in the rest of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament. And Peter, nowhere in the rest of the Bible does he ever say that you need to be baptized in order to receive salvation or in order to receive remission of sins. So to come to this one instance and say, well, you know, Peter here is saying that you need to be baptized in order to receive remissions of sins is a little dishonest. It's a little sketchy. In this case, we would take the rest of the counsel of Scripture and say, clearly, that's not what he's saying. The word for is just as often used to mean because of, to be baptized because of the remission of sins. These are men that had repented. They knew that they were going to be identifying with Jesus Christ. They were going to be claiming him as their Messiah. They were bringing forth fruits, meat for repentance. Now, Peter is not preaching baptismal regeneration here. No more than John the Baptist was saying that uh, people needed to come and repent and that baptism was somehow part of that. In fact, you remember what John the Baptist told them when they came and they wanted to be baptized by him? He said, no, you know what? Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, prove it. You guys are coming and you're just acting the same. You're not identifying with Jesus. I want to see some fruit before I'm willing to baptize. So we see Peter here. He says his answer to these men as they ask, what shall we do, is repent and receive baptism to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, it's interesting, we come to this, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we talked about this a little bit last week, I think it was, as we looked at the obedient church, and we talked about the day of Pentecost, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, and how that was a unique situation. And how there are religions out there that talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they talk about how, you know, today they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But notice what Peter says here. He says that they should repent... And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
Peter's clear here that the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost, is given to those who repent, those who turn to Christ, those who identify with Him, those who are born again. And we could bear that out through the rest of Scripture. But for you and I today, for the rest of us, it was unique for the, the apostles, for those on the day of Pentecost, but for the rest of us, we get the Holy Ghost at the time of salvation. That's when He is given to us. So we see Peter's answer to the crowd Third of all, we'll see the crowd's response. The crowd's response. Peter goes on there in verse number 39. He says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What a blessing that the promise of God is not only unto them that Peter is talking to, to their children, but to all those that are afar off, even as many as our Lord, as the Lord our God shall call. And you and I, we benefit from that today. Peter here is prophesying of the fact that God was going to call Gentiles unto him. That the promise of the Messiah, the promise of the Holy Ghost, is available not only to those uh, in Peter's day, but even to you and to me. Verse number 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. Now, that's a very descriptive turn of phrase. Save yourself from this untoward generation. You know, the reality was that Peter and the disciples were a very small group of people. It was around 120 that had gathered in that upper room. Now, Peter is speaking to a larger crowd, and they're about to be saved. They're about to be baptized then and added unto the church. But it's still a really small group of people. And the, the prevailing groupthink in the society of Jerusalem and on this day is that Jesus was a fake. That Jesus was a fraud. And that those who identify with Jesus are phonies. That's why they killed Him. That's why they crucified Him. Peter says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. He's calling to them to come. He's calling to them to receive His Word. Verse 41, we see the crowd's response. Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized. So we see, first of all, they received His Word. Not only did they received it, receive it, you know, they took it unto themselves, but notice their attitude in that. They gladly received you see, their hearts were pricked. They were given the bad news. They were starting to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter offered to them the way out, the answer, the gift of salvation. They gladly received his word. And then they were baptized. These had stepped out in faith. They had repented. They had identified with Jesus. And now they were publicly going to identify with Jesus. They were baptized. Can you imagine a baptismal service of 3,000 people? I guess they did it in the river. I don't, I don't know how else you do 3,000 people. Now, how they did that in Jerusalem? I don't know. We're not given the, the details here. We'll have to, you know, one day when we get to heaven. I don't know if they have, like, a heavenly library of video or we can like time travel or something and see these things happen, I think that'd be neat. I'm sure God has some way he could do that. I don't know what it's going to be like. 
But I've got questions about little details like that. How did they, how did they work out the logistics, the logistics of 3,000 people baptizing all of them? You know, it's, it's a big enough event just to baptize three people, let alone 3,000. But we see that this massive group of people has come now. They've heard Peter preach. They've heard the word of God. They've been cut to their hearts. They've been pricked. Their consciences have been prodded by the Holy Spirit. They've heard the answer. They've turned. And they have now publicly identified with Jesus Christ. And they're added unto the church. So we see that there is amazing growth that happens. Certainly, that was an exciting time to be a member of the church at Jerusalem. But then we see not only amazing growth, but amazing continuance. Amazing continuance. We see there in verse number 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. So that's our theme verse this year for us as a church is that we would continue steadfastly. But notice, first of all, there in verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly. Who is the they that is being addressed here? Well, I would submit to you that it is the 3,000 souls that were just added to the church. So we see the church at Jerusalem here has grown exponentially. Certainly, of these 3,000 souls, some of them had probably heard Jesus speak personally. Maybe most of them had heard Jesus speak personally. But they had a lot of instructing. They had a lot of doctrine that they needed to learn. The apostles, they were men who had been with Jesus from day one. They had been with Jesus all along. They had walked with him daily. They had heard the things that he had to say to them. They had been taught by Jesus. But now this group of 3,000 people is added to the church And there was a lot of discipleship that needed to happen. And so we see they continued steadfastly, not in the things that they already knew, not in their religiosity, but they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The doctrine that had been handed down from Jesus Christ. So we see that they continue in doctrine. The instruction, the teaching of Jesus that had been handed down to the apostles' and is now being handed down to them. Not only did they continue in the apostles' doctrine steadfastly, but they also continued steadfastly in fellowship. And we've, over the last year, we've talked about the subject of fellowship a few times from God's Word. And we've talked about how fellowship isn't necessarily getting together on a fifth Sunday and having a potluck with one another and sharing food, although that is an aspect of what they do here. They break bread together. But fellowship is sharing life together, and specifically around the things of God. It's it's being real with one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another about being faithful to God. Fellowship uh, doesn't happen by accident. Most often, uh, when we get together, we can easily fall into just talking about the things of everyday life. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about work. We can talk about hobbies. We can talk about other relationships that we have. We can talk about all manner of things. But unless we actually labor at it, unless we're intentional about it, 
Many times, true fellowship does not actually take place. But we see that the early church here, the church at Jerusalem, these 3,000 souls plus the apostles and those who are already in the church at Jerusalem, they continue steadfastly in fellowship. You can't fellowship without being uh, together, especially not in their day and age, right? I suppose we can fellowship in some way uh, via telephone or video call or something like that. They didn't have that. Right? The only way that they could fellowship was by being together, by being present. And I'll submit that that's still the best way for fellowship today. Uh, face-to-face conversations can't be beat. Uh, even talking over the phone or doing video call, there's always something lacking. My wife and I were engaged for six months, something like that. She was in Missouri, I was in Pennsylvania. There was a thousand miles, a thousand and one miles between my door and her door. I hated it. Yeah, we had video calls, but it's not the same. Hey, you can kind of talk, but it's not the same as being present, being face to face, being able to see one another face to face. And that's a simple example, but when it comes to true fellowship as a body of Christ, The same carries out. For true fellowship, we need to be present with one another. So not only did they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, but also in breaking of bread. And breaking of bread, that's pretty simple. It just means that, well, they shared meals together. They they broke bread. Uh, They ate bread a lot in that day. And really, people all around the world today still eat a lot of bread. I know it's kind of like villainized and demonized in our society as some great evil. Some of that has to do with the way that our grains are processed in, that con- in this country. Uh, we won't get into that. Anyway, they shared meals together. They continued in breaking of bread. And certainly there is something uh, special about gathering together with people that you love and know and sharing a meal together. And even people that you don't know, that you've never met before, you share a meal with them, and something happens. Something changes. And you can find that you make friendships often around breaking bread with one another. There's something special there. But we see that these folks, they continued together steadfastly in breaking bread with one another. And last of all, we see that they continued steadfastly in prayers. So we see that there was instruction in the Word of God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? The words from Jesus that had been handed down to the apostles, they continued steadfastly in that. They continued steadfastly in fellowship with one another. They continued steadfastly in sharing life together, breaking bread, and they continued steadfastly together in prayers. Not only that, verse number 43, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So we see kind of a unique situation here. We see that they continued steadfastly. We see a result. The result was that fear came upon every soul. They're praying for the working of God, for the outpouring of God's Spirit in their community, in their world. And we see that fear and wonders, or fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And so we we see that the apostles are preaching God's word. 
we see that they're accompanied by some sign gifts that God had given at this time to validate, to uh, go along with what they are preaching, to validate their testimony. And we see that fear has come upon every soul. But then we see, not only that, we see some sacrificial giving. We see that they, they come together, they were all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. Now this is a unique situation. This is certainly not the Bible uh, promoting communism, or this idea that we all ought to come together and just you know, put all of our, our worldly goods and money in one big pot, and we can all just live off of that. Now, certainly, the Bible talks about working and uh, laboring to support ourselves and our families, but this is a very unique situation. There are people here of these 3,000 souls that had been added unto the church. Um, I should have looked up the reference, but you remember back from last week, in, uh, up in chapter number 2 here, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, you see that list of different countries, different ethnicities. These folks have traveled into Jerusalem from all over the world. I'm sure they brought some provisions with them. But now they're kind of in a unique situation. They traveled to Jerusalem for this feast, and they've heard the word of God preached. They've been born again. They've joined the church at Jerusalem. They can't exactly just wire home and get some more money. They can't pull out their smartphone or go down to a local ATM and just pull some money out of the bank, right? They only have what they brought with them. And so now they're in a unique situation. They're continuing daily in one accord in fellowship. They're continuing steadfastly with one another in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we see that the church at Jerusalem comes together. They gather all of their things. They're selling things. There's sacrificial giving going on so that they can remain together for this time. And what a, what a wonderful thing that must have been to be a part of. As they come together, they fellowship with one another, they're doing all of this for the honor and glory of God. They're doing this so that the gospel can go. And it's going to have a, a great effect on the community around them. And we'll see that as we continue on in our study here in the, in the book of Acts. So we see... Their amazing continuance. We see not only did they continue steadfastly and the result of their steadfast continuance, but then we're told once again, Luke goes on in verse number 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we see that they're with one accord in the temple. Now certainly, 3,000 folks, a little bit over 3,000 folks, in the temple is a fairly sizable group of people. And it's kind of like they're, they're mobbing into the temple and they're preaching the gospel. And it begins to have an effect. They continue daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And all the while, verse number 47, they're praising God and having favor with all the people. So God has begun to give them favor with the people of Jerusalem. And the gospel is spreading. Um, certainly they were a wonderful testimony to God's goodness 
the, the grace that God has in people's lives, and they're going around praising God together, breaking bread from house to house and praising God. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That must have been an exciting time to be part of. So we see a growing church presented here for us. And, you know, we can think about a couple things here this evening. We can see, you know, Peter was faithful to preach God's word. He was faithful to challenge. We see that the church was faithful there to be in one accord. They were together. They were continuing in prayer. We've talked about our, our theme verse for this year, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And you know, that's a, a good formula. A good thing for us as Liberty Baptist Church to be involved in, to be continuing steadfastly in the doctrine that we get from God's Word, to be continuing steadfastly together in fellowship around the things of God, to be continuing steadfastly in breaking of bread, uh, Baptist fellowship, as we might call it, right? Fifth Sunday fellowships, getting together with one another, sharing life is the reality of what that comes down to, and continuing steadfastly together in prayers. And we really ought to be praying about God's will for us as individuals, God's will for us as a church, praying about God receiving honor and glory through the way that we live our lives. And I think that we see here in Acts chapter number 2, we see a group of people who are committed. They're committed to follow after God. They're committed to follow after Christ. They're committed to obey Him. And in their obedience of Him, in their walking in the will of God, step by step, even in the face of some pretty rough numbers, as a very small group of people in the midst of a society that wasn't necessarily friendly to them at first, we see that they stood, that they were faithful to the things of God, and that God blessed them in turn. May that be our prayer. May that be our desire as a people to stay faithful, to bring honor and glory to God, and that He would use us as only He can, as part of His plan, as we simply step out in faith and trust and follow Him.